Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another episode of the Long Lost Heroes podcast. I'm AJ. And I am Frank. And we are here to discuss uh, another James Bond uh, movie. I guess this is, to me, this is like a classic after watching it. The Living Daylights, the first Timothy Dalton uh, outing. Uh, Frank. First of um, two, 50% there. <laughs> have you seen, had you seen this movie before? No, I had not. That's crazy. Uh, so can I ask you, did you watch this with Megan? Yeah. Did, uh, okay. My last question. Did you make this, did you watch this movie all the way through uninterrupted? Um, we, uh, watched maybe like the first 30 minutes paused and had to walk the dog because he was being a little shit and then finished it straight through after that you're very lucky it took me three tries to watch this movie shit really the first time we watched the opening sequence really the only the first maybe three or four minutes when they're just doing the skydive over gibraltar um then i had to pause it uh last night um not last night i think uh the afternoon and i made dinner and then i went back to it and finished it uh in the late evening um and i think we had started to watch it maybe the night even before anyway uh long story short we finished it last night um yeah i i wish this was a movie i was so glued to that i couldn't look away that's the only thing i was thinking about it because i kept getting interrupted Mm. um but overall, I kind of liked it. What did you think, Frank? I liked it too. I mean, I, I think I think that's what's going to be harder as we go into the older era of Bonds. Like, it's a different kind of filmmaking, and it's not as, like, gripping. I mean, we saw that a little bit with, with Pierce Brosnan um, that, like, is totally not there in, in the Craig movies anymore. Um, that... Yeah, it's it's gonna be harder to keep our attention, harder to stay awake. Um, they weren't, our brains weren't wired for this kind of movie. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, I, I liked it. It was, um, I like Timothy Dalton. Like I, he's been in a few other things. Like he was on um, on Chuck for a little bit, and he was really cool on that, like as a villain. Um, but uh, I think he was on TV. Yeah, and I think he's oh, also isn't he in like that Doom Patrol show on DC Universe. Oh, he may be. If he's on that, that's like maybe all right. Yeah. I, you know, I love Timothy Dalton from this movie called The Rocketeer, mm. which is a Joe Johnston joint. That so, if you don't know who Joe Johnston is, he directed uh, uh, Captain America: The First Avenger. He also directed Jurassic Park Three. Um, but he's pretty much Spielberg's like second unit guy on all the Indiana Jones movies. So when he goes to make his first movie, uh, he actually makes uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And then he makes Rocketeer with Jennifer Connelly and has Timothy Dalton. He plays a bad guy. He plays a Nazi. Mm. And to me, Timothy Dalton is always going to be this awesome character, which is a play, I, I think, on I, – I, I haven't watched the movie again. I totally will. Um but he plays he plays like a you know a really swank Brit, you know cool actor in the you know the in the you know late 30s and he's like so super cool in the movie and then you find out he's a nazi it's oh it's crazy <laughs> um but it's it's a really it i totally recommend that you watch it it has alan arkin um it's a really cool movie it's got really good special effects uh but you know watching t- this first movie the whole time with him Uh, I couldn't help but get over how like emotional he was and like kind of coming off of Daniel Craig, who's like so stone faced and he's so dry. And, and, you know, when he's, you know, even smirking, it's like he's, you know, laughing crazily or when he makes a joke, it's like the funniest thing you've ever heard. Right. This guy is so uh, emotional. He's so emotional and you can see it for the first time. Mm-hmm. I, from what I remember of like Connery and, and more specifically those two guys was that it was more of a, you know, you know it was more of a cool, uh, a suave, um, you know, omnipotence of every situation that could ever happen and being prepared for anything that could ever emerge and ever come out and just being like, cool, I got this. Don't worry about it. Like Dalton, I felt like 
He's pissed about being Bond at times. This guy is breaking orders all the time. Not not unlike Craig, but like Craig, you know, also they give, um, uh, I think, Timothy Dalton's Bond, which is weird to call, like to refer to him as Dalton the whole time, but they give him like a lot of people to talk to. Did you notice that? Oh my like, God. Especially coming off the Craig movie. Like, like Daniel Craig is brooding and he's, he's riding around and doing cool shit. Yeah. And in this, like, it's like, Hey, you got to talk to this guy. You got to talk to this guy. Uh, yeah. And we, we maybe <laughs> kind of screwed that up. Like it, this would have maybe worked a little better off of Brosnan than Craig, but um, yeah, it, it's definitely, it was definitely a little jarring uh, to, to compare those two. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's weird. I, I think especially because we hadn't seen him as Bond and it's such a short stint. Like it's, it's a weird stint too. Like, so I, I, you know, I think this isn't spoilers, but what here's, so here's what happened. I wanted, I watched a couple movies and I, and I read it. So I think I know how I can explain it perfectly. So after a view to a kill, which is Roger Moore's last movie, uh, Cubby Broccoli and Roger Moore part ways amicably. All right, they're cool. I know they're amicable because on the DVD there is an old 1987 TV special that Roger Moore hosts about the 25 year anniversary, uh, 25 year anniversary of Bond. Um, also I mean, weird he had that done the- seven movies at that point. Like that's yeah, but but he's coming back to be cool about it. That's awesome, right? Well, and that's what I mean. It's like he he probably was like ready to put it to rest. Like oh sure, it's not like oh you you're pulling me out after one. I want to go back in. Like what more could he have done after seven movies? And we'll get there. But I, I don't I don't know. So they leave, and then uh, Cubby Broccoli is look. So Cubby Broccoli is one of the big producers at this point um the, the original guy one of the original dudes mm-hmm. and he is like you know trying to figure out who's going to be bond next and they screen test sam neil the guy who goes on to play uh the doctor in jurassic park mm-hmm. uh and we all know him from his great role in bicentennial man uh but like you know sam neil comes in and they like his audition cubby broccoli's not thrilled about it and they're like, okay, so let's take a look at uh, Pierce Brosnan. Pierce Brosnan at this point, it's the mid-'80s, and he's on a show at NBC Universal called Remington Steel. Mm-hmm. So he's on this show, and he does the screen test. Cubby Broccoli really likes him. They're really happy. They want to go with him. NBC Universal hears about this. They say, absolutely not. You can't uh, you know, do this. And they had a clause in his contract and because of the of uh, the fervor and the news and the buzz about Pierce Brosnan maybe playing Bond, hyping Remington Steel up, they optioned him for another season of the show. And because of that, Cubby Broccoli's like, "Fuck no, I'm not putting some guy who's you know already a character on TV into one of my James Bond great movies." And they lost the deal. And then. Even after that, Pierce Brosnan only went on to make five more episodes. They didn't even make the full season of that show. Wow. Uh, and like it totally screwed up the whole deal. So at this point, uh, Dalton, who had been approached for On Her Majesty's Secret Service, who was like a young Shakespearean, cool, new wave British actor in the late 60s. Um, and he's like, no, I'm too young. I'm too cool. I'm not doing it. Yeah. And they even came back to him a couple more times as Roger Moore is actually playing him. And then he comes back to it and he says, okay, he decides, all right, I'm going to do it. And he's very inspired by the Fleming novels. And I think that kind of comes across in a couple of the ways that like Daniel Craig takes different choices, but they do similar things. Um, and they ultimately end up going with Dalton. Um, this is his first movie. They do another movie called license to kill which that was marketed as the dark movie. I'm excited to get to that one, but yeah, <laughs> uh, this one was I don't know I, I I liked it, but I felt it was ve- he was very emotional. Yeah, yeah, that's what you said before too, and um, it's interesting like because we're watching it a little bit out of context. Like if we had watched A View to a Kill right before this, 
we maybe would be able to track like what the choices that they made and sure yeah casting and the other decisions on uh on some of his performance um but yeah i mean to me I, i am very curious about license to kill now and to see like what pulls the rug out because there's a six year gap in between movies after that. Um, I think what pulled the rug out was the fall of the iron curtain. You mm. know, <laughs> I, I think that, I think that has a lot to do with it. Well, you know, I and think... what it's funny because when we started this movie, I was like, Oh, the Russians are back. We have them again. We yeah. Can... The Russians are back. Well, right. it, yes. Because like in Goldeneye, they're there at the very beginning. And then there's a time jump and like, it's like, okay, yeah, the, the Russians were always the bad guys, like, throughout all the movies, and so we're in this, but, like, they're also kind of, like, almost friends, you know? Yes, this one is an interesting one because it sh- I think it's very realistic. It's also a big movie of the times. I think what's interesting, and I'm excited to kind of watch a lot of the Roger Moore movies I hadn't seen, is that, like, this movie is so reflective of the late, mid to mid 1980s um and i think to talk about that we kind of have to get into spoilers um yeah and kind of get into the shit of it ultimately you know we like this movie uh i would definitely recommend it you can go watch this movie on prime if you have amazon prime like let's say you have amazon prime and you're getting your packages i don't know how quickly you're getting them at this point mine are taking weeks but yeah Back in the before times, in the long, long ago, <laughs> you used to get stuff real quick off Amazon. And if you're doing that, you know, you have Amazon Prime Video, and Amazon Prime Video has all the James Bond movies from 1962 through 1989. Uh, so please feel free to check those out and watch along with us. If you want to watch the Brosnan movies, they're going to be on Netflix. I don't know how long for um, the. Currently, the Craig movies are on HBO Go, with the exception of Skyfall and Spectre. Yep. And, uh, yeah, go check them out. Uh, now we're going to talk about spoilers. Three, two, one. Spoiler alert, Phillips. I love the Phillips product placement in this movie. It's it's cool. It's a little bit more subtle, I think. Like, it's there. Uh, but No, you know. but it's, it's so, like, a part of it, you know? Yeah. Like, so, like, all the little... Okay, so let's talk about the 80s-ness of this movie. Like... This movie is so 80s. All right. He has one Bond girl because they're trying to cut down on Bond's promiscuity-ness, promiscuousness mm. because of AIDS. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. So the reason he's with just this one chick the whole movie is because of the crazy crisis. Um, you also have uh, Aha does the song for this movie. Yeah. I, it was weird hearing it. I was like, I recognize these people. Who is it? And then who? Who is this? Oh my god! <laughs> it's very eighties. It's uh, also you have like the you know the thin blonde woman. You have um, the oh the the car the Aston Martin car in this movie is great. Yeah, it's really fucking awesome. But it's so Knight Rider. It's so Kit. Yeah, it's got all the especially the sequence where he's you know using the heads up projection uh, stuff. Yeah, heads up display. Yeah, it, that's and true. I was like, oh man. Like, to me, like, watching this movie, uh, the the main thing that I took away was, like, this, in anything, is almost more of a, like, reaction to Indiana Jones. Like... I completely agree this, with you. I'm so glad you got there before I, we I had to get you there. Because... Yes, it, uh, completely. It felt like it to me. I was like, man, every sequence. And, I you know, I don't know if it's, like, because they went to the Middle East for a bit, and but, like, it just... It could have been, and maybe because it, it was that time period, but like, you know, there there was a point when we were going to be cover, you know, doing the Indiana Jones movies along with this. But like, I think they're they're reacting to him, like what Harrison Ford was doing at the time, and you know, like, okay, Roger Moore can't do that, so we're gonna now we're gonna have Timothy Dalton do that kind of thing, and he's like, he's kind of like a sexy Bond, like in a not in a Daniel I agree Craig with you. way. It's more of that like gruff and tough kind of guy yeah and i when you're watching it and you see like kind of the different beats did you do you know about the deleted scene in this movie no so uh it. It, okay in Tunisia when they're in the tunisia section of the film uh they cut 
a scene where Bond takes like a stiff carpet from like a carpet salesperson in Tunisia as he's having a fight and he puts it on top of electrical cab- cables to look like a magic carpet and when you see it it just the effect didn't play right he's going too slowly so it just looks like awkward and weird <laughs> it's i was like this movie is so indiana jones like they're di- they're directly ripping it off now like yeah. uh you know okay so the guy who plays Bushkin is the same guy who's Indy's friend in Raiders, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, uh, it's uh, John Reese Davies who's also Gimli. <laughs> yeah, fucking Gimli is the man in this movie. Uh, He's great. He he also channels uh, uh, what's his face uh, Valentine from like the the Golden Eye era. Like I get that's that true same kind of vibe. Like he's but he's so the, the crazy thing. I read this afterwards. He's the new. Uh, head of the KGB, which like in continuity of the, the James Bond movies, like the old head is like at the end of the movie here that was playing in all the previous James Bonds, like all the Roger Moore ones. So it's like, there is continuity going on, which feels weird because like they just recast him almost the parrot. The parrot is the let was in the movie from your eyes only. For your eyes really? only. I'm like, why is there a parrot in the kitchen? That's so gross. I had no idea, dude. I had no <laughs> idea why they're keeping parrots worth the kitchen and the food and the yummy, yummy, yummies. That seems so weird. The it's other choice. Weird continuity thing is that the main bad guy is like, the actor goes on to play the CIA agent in the, the Pierce Brosnan movies only a few years later. Oh shit. And it's like, I was like, oh, this guy's here. And I was like, wait a second. No, no, no. This is a different character completely. What were they thinking? That's so weird. I didn't know that that was the same guy. Oh, man. All right. But that guy, you know what? This movie has an ending problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's really where um, it all... Brad Whitaker. Whitaker. I think this movie has an ending problem. I'm going to do our patented sum it up in as quickly of a sentence as we can. Good luck. I think the training sequence is like mostly unrelated, right? It's not really as much. It doesn't really have tons to do with the main plot. All right. Uh, so it kind of does. It starts with them assassinating spies. That's like. You know, they, they jump out of the sky and then... The, and that the first... is... And that's Smirsh, which comes back in uh, Casino Royale and other stuff. But, okay. Yeah. So, um, Bond, he's uh, jumping out of a plane again. And uh, he's going to be landing on the island of Gibraltar, which is a very cool entrance and scene. He gets there to find out that instead of it being a training exercise, they're killing agents. It's then later revealed um, that uh, Bond has to go and... Uh, extract a um a kind of, kind of a soviet uh higher up um and then he's actually double crossing them um to go and meet up with brad whitaker who's this arms dealer guy so that he can kind of make uh koskov who is the uh kind of the double crosser but kind of also an imbecile um yeah. you know and kind of show them how they're you know these two guys were trying to be dicks, you know. Ultimately, they are they are trying to move millions of dollars worth of diamonds uh, via at one point the sale of opium. Um, it's unsuccessful, um, and at this point, Whitaker is broke and now can't sell all these weapons that he just bought um, that he was supposed to be selling to the Russians. Right. Sorry. No, that's that's Everybody. pretty much it. But it's it it's definitely convoluted. There's a lot of players going on. Like, I think that's one thing about this movie. There's like not true. I mean, I guess Whitaker is the big villain, but because like especially with the setup, you think Koskov is kind of the good guy. Like he's coming over. Like he's he's like henchman number two, right? Like he's not a physical antagonist really. He's just like oh no, and there's a kick-ass physical antagonist. Antagonist, but like. Yeah. Koskov, he just feels like I feel like they wanted to play off kind of the ineptitude of kind of a bumbling, 
villain you know what i mean like they wanted to have somebody who that was part of the reason why they sucked you know was because they were dumb and shitty and assholes and you know full of shit and uh he was totally full of shit the whole time yeah if you i was thinking about this earlier so yorgi's kaskov his escape so their escape plan is really stupid so he's at a symphony watching his you know so-called girlfriend He's going to then leave. He's afraid because he has a sniper. Um, he hires the Brits to come and help him. They they go over. They, uh, you know, he stops the woman from, I guess, pretending to shoot him, right? right. She with, wasn't really good. With, like, blanks, I think she was going to shoot him. Right. You know, ultimately, they get to him, and he gets to, you know, right away on this very cool contraption, which is... A very fun scene. It really, I really liked that whole sequence. I did too. Yeah, Push, putting him through the the pipeline, connecting between I, this at the time is actually Czechoslovakia and and Austria. And Austria. Yeah. So there's a bunch of hopping between those two states uh, and the borders there, which I I suppose is a, a significant thing in the Cold War, right? Yes, of course. When they're doing this, you know, he just looks like stupid and and he's going crazy but what i was thinking earlier was if he had set his girlfriend up to be the sniper and he knows bond is supposed to take out the sniper isn't he setting his girlfriend up to die in the, like the beginning of the movie and wouldn't it make more sense for bond to try to play that up to get more information out of her than to pretend that he's they're gonna see him the whole time i don't know <laughs> yeah i mean I think the whole thing is kind of weird. I think that she thinks that they're they're like he's uh, her boyfriend and everything, but like he's like, oh yeah, whatever. And he goes in like he's with all these other women, right? Like he was just using her. Um, so, like, I think the fact that Bond kind of sees that and is like, oh, she's like kind of obsessed with this guy. Like, yeah, we're gonna go see him. We're gonna go see your your guy. Don't don't worry. Well, like slowly stealing him away feeling <laughs> stealing her away from him um i don't know it, it's it's a little weird i think i the thing i appreciated about this movie was all the classical music i think that was kind of cool a, a cool little touch um so this is barry's last movie yeah and th- if you don't know barry is the original composer for james bond he did all the movies up till this one this is his last one and I think this is an awesome score. It's very, it's similar to how they do the Casino Royale one in a different way. I, I, I liked it, but I didn't love it. Yeah, I like the score. And like, to me, like the interesting thing is like when you put in the, the DVD, it's like they're playing this music that is part of the score. And I'm like, wow, this is so unrecognizable. I've never heard this before. It's like, this is very much like the music from this movie. And it, it sounds like, spy and bond but it's not like the main theme really i mean we get it eventually um through a bunch of sequences but um yeah no the score is good um i think the 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 song isn't (laughs) (laughs) so no i agree uh it's definitely dated it's definitely 80s new wave it's definitely lame sauce um like it's not cool like you can't listen to this song on the radio at all no all right let's talk about the good stuff um i like the way that they do the action in this movie it seems very kind of ahead of its time in some ways in the way that the action is done uh there's you know they use a lot of front projection so while it all looks very convincing and awesome the close-up scenes are done really nicely so which is interesting if you've been watching the Mandalorian gallery behind the scenes TV show on Disney plus, they're talking about using this new version of front projection where they have screens behind uh, the actors. But this is like a very good interlacing of it because it's really at the kind of the, the tail end of the use of this kind of technology. Mm -hmm. So it was very good. It's also mixed really well with really um, good and, uh, persuasive you know live action representations you know like when they're hanging out the back of the plane at the end yeah uh it's it's really nice um okay so what's your favorite scene from this movie uh yeah that's that is tricky um i am a sucker for um snow-based james bond 
Sure. Um, I I think though, it, which kind of ties into I guess. Uh, so, to me, the the best sequence is so I think the car sequence is excellent, um, and the, that whole chase, which then leads into them continuing, continue right after they get out of the car, they then like do their like sliding on the the fucking cello or the cello case, right? Yes. Like that to me is like that whole bit is one thing. And I think that's probably my favorite. What about you? The cello case is cool. I, I really like the scene with Necros. It's really, and he's a really well built up physical antagonist. Mm. Uh, I think that the fight between them at the end, you've been waiting for it the whole movie. They've built it up. You know, it's not like Hanks or, some of the other guys we've seen in the more recent films where they really kind of die off mid film or before the main climax. Right. So then it is just bond yeah. and you know, the villain with the exception of maybe tomorrow never dies, but this guy, like you're watching him and you're like, Oh, I want to see them fight. When are they going to fight? I want to see the milkman. Where's the milkman <laughs> and the milkman delivers, you know, he, yeah. And I think he's a great guy and I really like, the choices that he makes, he kind of reminds me of what they did with like that new version of that shitty Terminator movie they made where he's like making jokes and like is kind of funny and stuff yeah. and like and very disarming. And I thought that was like a really great choice for one of those guys. Yeah. And I think it's kind of a cool like he's got a, a, a thing, right? Like he's he's got his music and he's rocking out and then he, he takes the uh, the wire from his headphones and starts to strangle people like that's a very distinct thing. Um, which is like probably been spoofed in Austin Powers, right? Um, For sure. But like, yeah, I think he's he's menacing, uh, but he's also kind of more of a character. You kind of get it, and like to me, like one of the the one of the interesting choices that they do make is like at the very end when uh, they're like fighting on all the opium, and like Bond starts to cut his boot, like. He's reacting to that. He's like, no, 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 don't do it. Like, like he's like fighting for his life there. And that's like, I think something that never happens with a physical antagonist. Like they're always just like, yeah, I'll go to the very end. Like, and he's like, no, this is like, I don't want to die. Yeah, boom, don't do done, this. Over. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I dug it, dude. Um, that I thought was one of my favorite parts. Um, okay. I really liked the girl. Yeah. Me too. I really liked her. I Shayna thought she was a little annoying. I thought she was like it was interesting to see Bond have more of a long, drawn out, movie long romance. Whereas in other films, really his main Bond girl doesn't really pick up till maybe a you know, a third of the way into the film. Uh yeah. And to see it start here, I think, was really a a nice choice. And and this lady was a model, Miriam Dubois, I think, or Dubois or something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she's she's great. And I think she the chemistry that they have between her and Dalton is very real. And they have cool scenes. But again, he's very emotional. And, and you can see that he wants her. You can see when he gets annoyed with her. You can see when he's doing stuff. So it's just... It's just a different take, and it's not wrong, you know. In in the Fleming books, from what we can surmise, and I gotta get one, I'll, I will. Uh, you know, he's Bond is is more vulnerable and more, and you know, has more dynamic feelings about what's going on. In the movies, we are only led to believe that he's this stoic, you know, force of nature, right? Uh, whereas in the books, maybe he has more emotions, and I, and I think that if you look at what Craig does and kind of the way he internalizes it and he makes the subtle things really big and he makes the big things, uh, very real, you know, Dalton goes this different way of, I would say like exaggerated, um, like exaggerated, like otherness, like he's trying to be so different than Roger Moore to not make all the obvious jokes, you know, like the scene where he's driving back with the guy after they've um, gotten uh, Yorgi over to Vienna and they're going back, right? They're in yeah, the car. Yeah. There's a scene where they're driving back. There are no jokes in that scene. If Roger Moore or Pierce Brosnan were in that role, I'm sure that there would have been at least one joke as they're driving back. Instead, Maybe, I think there was a joke right before they got in. Like there was something around then, but I, I know what you mean. Like, there's an extended sequence and it's like, 
he's pretty he, serious. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Like, before we get to, like, our rating scale or whatever, like, what do you – do you feel like he's James Bond? Yes, uh, I do, actually. I feel like – I wish that they had gone a different way with it in Skyfall, but ultimately I feel like James Bond is a code name. And, it, and it's given out to whoever is going to be who it is. And that person comes up and they get it. I think the way the movies approach it is that whoever is about to assume the next role of James Bond is James Bond for the first time. And whoever was that guy beforehand, it doesn't really matter. Like he was the other guy. And it, it kind of goes back and forth. I'm leaning towards the idea that this is just another Bond. You know why? There's a few scenes in this movie where when he's doing the um, the car stuff, it has to do a lot with the car stuff, he doesn't look like he's having such a joyous time as Brosnan was. <laughs> like Brosnan in Tomorrow Never Dies is having the greatest time of his fucking life. Brosnan driving the tank, yeah. <laughs> even without with doing 50% of what he's doing in Tomorrow Never Dies, which is not grinning, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, he could see how happy and, like, how – and the joy that he brings, which translates to, like, the enthusiasm and, the, like, the believability. Like, it's the, you know, the, the shittiness scale, right? Uh, like, everything – not everything is pure, you know? How, how gray is it? And I think that this version of Bond is a very weird version of Bond. It's a very interesting time for Bond. Mm -hmm. I think it's very possible that had a butterfly flapped its wings and Universal never heard about what had happened with uh, Remington Steele and, and Pierce Brosnan, that we could have had Pierce Brosnan for 15 years. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, it's possible, you know, um, and then you would have had him until maybe the still around the, you know, the early two thousands and then you change over. And I think it's very, uh, if you think about it as proto Brosnan, I think it works better. Um, so I, I agree with you about the, the order that we're watching him in as, cause when you watch Craig, it's just very different. But, uh, ultimately I do believe he's James Bond. Do you believe he's James Bond? I do. I do. But like, like I said before, I think um, the actors that portray it, like, like to me, it's almost more like, um, like a multiverse, right? Like, the, the these bond, it's, it's not that it's a different code name. It's just that like these are different universes of where James Bond exists, and like, so with with this iteration, like, he he feels like he his presence in a room is like to like to take control and to uh like there there's one thing i'm remembering like when he's in in um afghanistan and it's like he's with her and he's like no no we're not doing that like he's very much like this is like my role like, oh yeah like, my way or the highway yeah, yeah and so like that's like a very indiana jones kind of like i'm taking charge this is my thing whereas like pierce brosnan you know he's happy to go along for a ride sometimes and just like see what happens like Pierce Brosnan like plays got... it so much more cool. Like, yeah. I don't think I don't think Dalton is cool. Hmm. Dalton, I I identify a lot with Dalton because he's very serious, you know. But he's he's trying so hard to be believable, you know. So actually, I think when he does the jokes, when he is funny, he is funny, right? Yeah. But I, I don't know, like. I I I don't know. I'm I'm excited to see the next one to put it like in context to see both of them back to back and kind of what his choices were. But I really liked this movie. No, I do I do believe him. I I I think he's I think it's interesting. It's a, it's a, it's a movie of its time, you know, like it, it's got a just a different energy to it. All it needed is like was like one scene in Miami and it would have had everything. Yeah, I, I think that's like another thing with this. It's got one. it's got drugs. It's got Afghanistan. It's got you know. It's less about world domination and and being Spectre. It's more about him it's kind the of guys in the gray area. Yeah, right? like it, that, yeah. It's also interesting. This movie feels a lot, and I'll shut up after this. It feels a lot like um, Goldeneye in a way, in that it's like it's departing from 
what we've see what you see of Bond and the traditional Connery formula. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, because we ju- like because even if we ju- we just watch Spectre, which is the Connery formula, right? It's got everything you want of those of those specific beats. This one, it doesn't have Bond in the casino. It doesn't have Bond in the tuxedo. It doesn't have Bond, uh, you know, wheeling and dealing in, in high society. It, oh, he totally is in a, a tuxedo. When is he in a tuxedo? At, at, at the fucking opera houses and like he. Right, but even in that. He wears a tuxedo to the, the, the fair. Oh, uh, right. The, <laughs> it's just so the weird. The tuxedo at the fair was very. The, the f- whole fair scene was very weird. That's also very 80s. It's also very creepy because he's like. I'm going to pay this guy to stop it at the top so we can make out. <laughs> like, yeah, that's. Oh, it's like you need to disinfect that whole virus. Wheel yeah. Afterwards. Um, even still, like, you know, that that's got a certain level of like bond playfulness to it. I, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm OK with that. I the whole scene at the fair was very to see bond on a roller coaster. I was like, bond doesn't do any roller coasters. <laughs> bond looks Let at a roller coaster. A tuxedo. What's happening? Yeah. Bond looks at a roller coaster. He says, "Absolutely fucking not." Right. So uh, that I didn't. That was maybe a little bit weird. Thank you for drawing my memory about that. <laughs> what I think really is like the maybe we should have like a new feature where it's like the worst part of this movie is. Yeah. Uh, when Q says the ghetto blaster. Oh oof. my god. Oof. That was rough. That's rough. I was expect they could have gone. They could have just called the boombox. <laughs> <laughs> It's called the motherfucking boombox. It's a boombox. Like, yeah, it's not but- racist. It's not <laughs> offensive. It's not socioeconomically not woke. To call it the ghetto blaster is pr- is pretty rough. Oh my god, that's right. Oh, that's horrible. Um, but then you get, I think, the gadgets and like the '80s gadgetry of the, you know, the microelectronics, the whistling explosive thingy yeah uh you know i really i loved that i because that reminded me you remember when you in maybe you don't have this memory but you remember walking in like maybe you went into the city for like a holiday or something in like the late 90s or the early 2000s and you would see like an electronic store and it just had like all the different walkmans and tvs and small tvs and headphones and cd players and uh you know all the different kinds of shit like an electronic store right yeah like bef- uh all those little gadgets live in this movie <laughs> you're like yeah you, you know like they have the the little car, the car stereo um uh, you know the obviously the boombox uh you know they they did very nicely it's also interesting philips is a company that is based in the netherlands uh they're very close they do a lot of business with the uk so it's interesting that like it was Philips for a while and then it went to Sony, which is Japanese. Yeah. yeah. And like with the acquisitions and who's, you know, whose money is giving what to do what, you know? Um, also, I love the car in this movie. The car in this movie could be a contender for one of the best cars. It, yeah, it might. So, I mean, I feel like we, we started to, to trickle down and talk about some of our categories. You want to go through them and then maybe that'll help us, uh, you know, knock this out. You know I do. I'm just trying to sig you. You know, sig away. Yeah, uh... sigua. All right. So <laughs> let's uh, let's journey back to the beginning. So we're going to talk about the opening sequence. Um, I think that um, to me, I guess maybe because like they really started to to escalate them and ramp them up in all the ones we've seen, this one just felt so like, meh. I'm like, what even happened? Like, I think it's interesting for it to be like, oh, this is a trading sequence. And like, I don't know. First of all, like the skydiving is cool, but it's so brief. Um, and then like, we, we don't even really see bond for like a couple of minutes, which like sometimes I like, um, and like I think that the the car chase part is pretty fun, like when he like cuts his way in, but it just was like I don't know, it was a little bit jarring to me and I I just couldn't really like latch on to what was happening and ultimately like yeah, it d- does set up the plot, which usually they do. I, I just I couldn't help but feel overwhelmed. So 
I gave it a five. How did you feel about it? You know, I had it up at a seven. I just changed it to a six. Um, <laughs> I'm so persuasive. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, you know, after thinking about it, I did. I did like it. I thought it had a different tone for kind of an opening sequence, especially the music during the skydive. I think it sets a very different tone for what you're expecting. You're kind of like, what's happening? What, what are we going to do? What's going on here? And you get down there and you see the first couple shots with the paintballs. And once you get to that car chase scene, I think that's really strong and like definitely uh, thrilling and uh, suspenseful. I really, en- I do enjoy that sequence, but you know, we've seen him skydive many a time. Is this one that's very unique? Probably not. So I'll I'll go with that. So, yeah. So moving into the heat of this movie, the meat, the plot. Mm-hmm. Um, I gave this a five. You know, I think compared to other Blonde mo- Bond movies, it's pretty straightforward, right? Like, I do like the simplicity and the streamlinedness of those kind of Bond movies typically. But I do find that, like, there are certain characters that are just, like, underserved and... There's certain storylines that are like underdeveloped um, and could have used more emphasis on the wrong syllables. Mm-hmm. What about you, Frank? Um, yeah, I gave it a six. Um, it's like, and again, I think we saw, we talked about this before. Like, it's a different pace of movie than I'm used to watching, and I think like the plot. It's like there are just so many players, right? Like you've got. Um, uh, Koskov, you've got Pushkin, you've got uh, Necros, and like the <laughs> then the Whitaker guy, like the- Sub Zero, <laughs> <laughs> um, and so there's a little bit of a like with you know with the the twist of like oh actually he is not defecting, like it just it moves around a lot, and then like they introduce like this major player towards the end, like the the Cameron. Shaw guy that works in Afghanistan, like that, like normally yeah. you, you, I feel like he would have been important later. And then like, then they're, they fake Pushkin's death. There's just like so many things. And there are a lot of set pieces in different areas, but like nothing really like is huge. Like the, I think that's the other thing, like locations in this movie are just sort of like, okay. Like there's nothing that's really um, groundbreaking to me. And, um, so I don't know. I, I guess it, it was a little bit hard to follow along what was happening, but I, I guess especially with like as we get to talking about the villain, like really what his end game was and what his like point of it all, um, it just it I felt like it took a while to get there. Really, you know? Yeah, it it was a big wind up for what, um, which brings us to our next category, which we both you know land on the same note here. Uh, the gadgets queue in the car. We gave this nines. I'm going to change this to a 10 only because I think the car is maybe like a standout car. Um, and I think that it, it could be one of the top cars. Like maybe this and the, like, it, it's a pretty sweet Aston Martin. The sequence with this car reminded me a lot of die another day. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting, but done better. I, I think it, <laughs> Well, yeah, but, like, it's interesting to see, you know, the Bond movies where the car is is a um, is the Batmobile. Yeah. And then it's interesting to see where the car is a plot piece, right, where, like, they have a car scene as opposed to the integration of the car throughout the film. I think I prefer to have the car throughout the movie than to see it destroyed in the, you know, before the end. Yeah. I get why they got to blow it up, but I don't, I, I, I understand like he had to blow this one up. Like it's in the snow. He's got to do what he's got to do. See, I guess maybe I, I feel differently. I feel almost like it's kind of like a rite of passage in a bond movie. It's like you, you get this sequence where it's like, it's perfect and pristine and it just like slowly, slowly gets beat down until Yep, he blows it up again. Like that's just like the way it is, and it, it's sad for the car because they're so beautiful. But I like I get like gleeful watching it. Like when I'm when when they're like spinning through the ice, and he's got the 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 uh, one wheel gone, and I was like, oh, yeah, and he's oh, I know what he's hole. doing. Yeah, <laughs> it's like they're gonna fall into the water. There they go, and it's like he's just like really clever with all those little things, and um. Yeah, I mean, I think the play, playfulness with the ice uh, is is a good comparison to Die Another Day, but I just think that that whole 
sequence in Die Another Day is like eh, weird, but um, no, it no, it is, and you're right. But like, maybe think about it in terms of like, well, we haven't seen a ton of him yet. We still got to keep going. So, and we got other categories to talk about. Uh, okay, so the Bond girls. Uh, I liked her. I thought she was very sweet. I thought she was very beautiful. Um, I liked that she played the cello. <laughs> what did you think? Yeah, I liked her too. I think she was kind of like believable as a like a naive kind of uh, you know like a, like like a doe like she's just like part of this whole thing but like doesn't really wasn't really aware of what was going on and like eventually get like, gets part of the plot and like um i do like the cello thing i think that's really funny and you know i'm like oh man it, it, it gets shot like in the in the snow and like you know I think she she portrays that uh, really well, but like you know she does hold her own at at certain points, and I think that's cool. But she's not, and I, she's not meant to be an action star. Like I think that's kind of what's good about it. They're not like oh, she's just badass, whatever. Like no, she's like a cellist. Like this is what her <laughs> she gets dragged into this crazy plot. Um, <laughs> she's so a short, short of anywhere else to actually mention it. Um, Ghostbusters. This movie. Um, has uh, a nude nude scene with uh, one of the, the I guess it's Pushkin's girlfriend or is it Koskov's girlfriend I can't remember. Uh, the I don't know if they he's even a, one of the girlfriends. I think she's just like some girl. Some girl that like is yeah, and so it's weird. It's a push. It's a Pushkin girl. It, it's weird to me. I mean, obviously back in the eighties, PG movies like had nudity and it was fine, um, but it's just weird that this is the way it is. Like we've been watching a bunch of Bond movies and we haven't seen boobs and here they are, but it's, it's done in such like a gratuitous way that it feels kind of gross. Like, like, Oh, we're going to use this as a distraction to, you know, it feels like very Austin powers, right? Like, like it with, um, Felicity Shagwell, like here, come at these, like, my, my boy or whatever. Like, and she flashes the guy. It's like, I know she didn't do it on purpose, but like he does it to her. And it's like, Ugh. that's true the, the the him him doing it uh to her is is less is less fun but it was i i don't know i thought it was like an okay joke and it like it just moved on to the next beat so quickly that it was like fine i i would love more nudity in bond movies i hope that there is more well i guess there is more in goldfinger uh <laughs> so uh the villain um this is where this movie kind of falls off you know we both really like clearly well-defined villains. I think this movie has an inept villain. It's got a uh, anti-hero and you have some guy you never really see too much from. Yeah. So I gave this a five. I gave it a five too. I mean, if, if Whitaker is, is the big bad here, like he doesn't show up until what, maybe halfway through the movie. And then, um, and then like when you really do see him at the end, like he's got this like, really weird like conquistador complex thing where it's like i like watching war and seeing it all play out and he's got like this gettysburg the like stage thing in his apartment whatever it was just a weird guy like if he was the guy from the beginning maybe that would feel more impactful again like the other thing that i was super distracted by was like i'm like he was like a good guy last time i saw him so right and like so to me i would have rather had him either more developed or um koskov really being the bad guy um it just having the, the two of them in this like motley crew of dudes that are like bad dudes yeah it just didn't work um yeah i i'm there with you where i think we both uh do agree while this movie may not have a great villain it's got a pretty good philip uh physical antagonist in necros uh i gave him a seven i gave him an eight their scene out the back of the dc3 is just excellent it's really good i know we talked a lot about it uh he's he's a really great you know foil for bond i love the strangulation also very you know 80s big stranglers the boston strangler all these guys um yeah i liked it yeah and i like the the whole thing with the What's it called? The 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 uh, the, the smear spionim, that thing. Yes. Like 
when he does that throughout and like you feel bad for the the, the other guy that he's with um that he gets killed in uh in the, the carnival right like and then you have the balloons like that's such a cool sequence like like you see it coming but like bond's not able to stop it and uh yeah it it's interesting because like he's a part of the plot that's kind of going on on the side that like they're trying to uh with, with pushkin and having this new like um idea of like what the kgb is doing and like they're 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 trying to make it look like the kgb is worse than it is and like that's kind of interesting to me um and he's part of that and i don't know he's just like the milkman <laughs> i feel like he could be a weird creepy cereal motherfucking boy. milkman <laughs> uh yeah i i dug him um so getting into this one so this is gonna seem weird but i'm also thinking it could change after the next movie so for the Bond performance, I'm going to give this one a five. Whoa. Uh, the, main, the main reason is because I don't know if he figures it out, right? I don't think it's whether or not I believe him as Bond. It's, I think, whether or not he's like, I do believe him as Bond. I, I just think the way that he plays Bond is so different and so weird. And I think if it's if the things I liked about it are better in the next movie, like that's great. If the things I didn't like are worse. Like maybe we have to change it. Yeah. What do you think? I I mean, so like looking back at the way I scored like the first take on uh, on Brosnan and the first take on Craig, like I gave those both nines, and I think Goldeneye and Casino Royale are better movies than this one. Um, and for so, sure, by a lot, by a lot, sure. Um, and so, like, I think like he he does well here. Um, I, I I like him as Bond. I just don't think I, I I believe it as much as like you know those first iterations. Um, I'd be that's why I'm like I don't want to score him low here because of like what I haven't seen yet, and I I, I wouldn't want to go back and change my score later. So like I I liked him I think he was he's cool he's a different take but he's not my favorite. I feel you. So another place I'm gonna give him another another low score is like the legacy and like the continuity of this because like I, I just don't think that like he's producing like like the, there's not too many moments here that are that like stand out or make it to many montages which is weird. Um and like this movie has many cool set pieces and scenes um that could easily blend in but maybe they're just a little bit forgettable maybe they're just not so perfect also this movie isn't captivating enough to make me sit through it the full time the first way you neither so maybe not the perfect you know legacy movie for bond yeah um i gave it a seven which is maybe a little generous um i think you know just dalton's legacy on on bond isn't very strong as is um, continuity is always something that's weird with these movies and like at the time it probably felt relevant I like that it feels like an Indiana Jones so the other interesting thing that I, I saw as we were um, like doing a little research on it, it's like so John Glenn directed this one which is this is like his fourth or fifth take on Bond so he did a lot of the Roger Moores and I think he does License to Kill as well so it's like it's interesting to me that this movie feels so different from a Roger Moore and it's from the same director, you know, like the only other time we see that is like when, um, I can't remember his name, but the guy that did golden eye came back to do casino Royale, Right. Like, like, sure. Like you have, not only is it the director, uh, or not only is it the Martin Campbell that's different. It's like the director behind the camera is like, okay, we're going to do something different now. No, you're you're right, and you know that's interesting. Well, I I don't love like the film stock that this movie is shot on. It doesn't look like it aged well, like in the way that like they use like Spielberg just uses more timeless looking film. <laughs> this movie looks dated, you know. Yeah, yeah. And the lighting really isn't very cool. Like we've also been watching like the most arty and the best shot Bond <laughs> ever. That's true. <laughs> and now we're coming to this like TV show kind of looking Bond. Yeah. Um, okay, the special effects, I, I gave this a seven. It's got some solid miniatures. It's got some solid explosions. It's got some great fight sequences, uh, and the gadgets are really fire. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think the, the practical effects here are really done well. Um, the miniatures are great. Um, 
but yeah, there are some sequences like the 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 beginning and the end with the the aircraft. Like I think that's pretty cool. I like. <laughs> I remember laughing out loud when I'm like, "No, they're not gonna do that with the jeep." I'm like, "How are they gonna get off the plane as it's about to crash?" Oh, yep. Okay, they did that. There you go. And then they keep <laughs> driving away. It's like so ridiculous but like I, I i like that they stick to their guns and, and they they did that um and uh I'm trying to think of other significant sequences that we haven't talked about um there's there's a really a, a bunch of cool horseback work here that's like something that's different and that we don't see in a bond movie that much i think yeah and he's hanging out with the muhajadeen proto bin laden yeah <laughs> Um, and like, and like sort of tied into, I guess it's not really, this is more of a gadget thing. Like I, I like the one sequence that we haven't talked about yet. Um, that I'll mention here then is just, uh, when he, when they're in the jail and like they use the gadgets and they like, he makes this choice to like help that guy. It's like, Oh, this really paid off for you in the future. (laughs) Like you suddenly have a whole bunch of new friends. (laughs) Oh yeah. Um, Oh, and the stair car. The stair car is really cool. The they, stair car? Yeah, so when they escape the jail and they, they take the the stair car that they would use for the plane and they drive it all the way up to the fence and then they jump over the fence because oh, they have the yeah, stairs. Oh, yeah. Yes. That's, that's the rest cool. of development stair car. Yes, exactly. Now I remember. Okay. All right. Coming up to our last category here, the score and the song. I'm going to give this a six. I, I think the song is, is and I think the score is awesome. So I think it's like somewhere in the middle of there is good. Yeah, I gave it a seven. Um, I feel like, yeah, the song is not good. I do like the score a lot. Um, the, the, the That opening, I, I was able to hum it before. I, I lost it now, but it's... Um, it's significant and uh it feels orchestral and the music throughout when they have you know her performing and they have uh they go see the opera it's like oh yeah there's some really cool music in here and and i miss that so um all right so totaling things up i do feel like i gave out a lot of sevens uh which makes sense because the whole thing is a 70 for me um, and for you, you're at a 64. Yeah. So I think this movie is like, a, it's like a D like it, it's you, you did all the things you needed to do to pass. Yeah. Now you got to show me some extra credit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I guess for me, I, I, I liked it maybe a little bit more just because I, it was like new. I hadn't seen it before. So I'm like not revisiting it. I have nothing to, I had no expectations either. Right. Like, and right expectations are a big deal yeah i enjoyed the ride as we went through and um i'm interested to see uh what happens in the next one because what what i hear is that yeah they 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 make some interesting choices (laughs) and it'll be uh unfortunate for timothy Dalton's career as uh as bond well we're next week we find out what happens then uh, when he we'll has talk a about license to kill. Oh my god, the darkest Bond movie ever. They say. Well, and what I read was that originally they like we're gonna call it like license revoked or something like. So it's not necessarily about like him having a license to kill. It's about him not having one. And I also uh, this movie was one of the first like PG fifteen rated movies in London. Ooh. And it was like you know a very strongly censored thing interesting uh so tune in next week to our adventures over there uh before you uh sign off the podcast and you maybe you haven't subscribed i don't know why you wouldn't do that what the hell subscribe go to your favorite podcast app it could be apple it could be stitcher it could be google it could be spotify you could find us on there please click the spot the subscription button that will allow you to have the podcast delivered to you you know immediately when you want it how cool is that um, if you want to send us a question, send us an email to info at longlostheroes.net. If you want to follow any of our social media, give us a like and a follow at LLH podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, I am kind of talked out on uh, the living daylights. The living daylights have been talked out of me, Frank. Yeah. 
the living daylights they then that's one of the little throwaway lines it's like they always feel like they need to say the line in the movie right and it's like oh the living daylights out of her i was like really all right roll credits <laughs> <laughs> yes um i think that's it I, f- I feel like we we covered it all um and excited to see the next one thank you guys for tuning in for checking it out Thanks for tuning in past 100 episodes. Woo-hoo! We're officially in motherfucking syndication. It's just, it's unbelievable. Uh, so Season yeah. five and 100 episodes kind of usually go in hand in hand, don't they? That's true. Check out you know our reruns on TBS. <laughs> Very late at night. Check your local listings for more after, information. After the Ronco rotisserie, <laughs> y- you can hear our talk about the Lego Batman. Uh, uh It's going to be great. Um, Thanks, Frank. This was fun. Yeah, definitely. All right. Thanks, everybody. Mm